And I love this paradigm of the where are you mm-hmm. or where have I lost myself. And I love this place where he's not saying, you just need to get close to me. His value is, no, no, where are you? Where are you? Where's your heart? Where did you lose your heart? There's, this is a paradigm that's really important because what can happen is, is we can go into a place of, well, he just wants me close to him. And we forget that, no, 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 his value is that our heart would be alive as it's near him. That's the whole paradigm. If you have your Bibles, go to John 4. Because <clears throat> I it just, it feels like it's bubbling up in me. And so I don't know if this is the worship experience or if this is the sermon. I don't know. We're just going to see what happens, okay? That, that's right. John 4. I've been following the Lent, the Lenten, uh, I think it's that Lenten se- like uh, season uh, in the within the the greater church. I just have found this really beautiful uh, solidarity that millions of people are reading these passages today, and it just feels like this is what the season is. John four is the woman, uh, the woman at the well. You guys know the story. I'm going to highlight a couple things, but I, I want to pause here and, and just re- remind you that John is no dummy, that he puts the story of Nicodemus right next to the story of the woman at the well. And he does this, we call it juxtaposition, where you put two things next to each other and you don't come right out and say why you're doing it, but them just being in comparison to one another communicates a ton. And so remember, John, John 3, Jesus goes to Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the law, and, he goes, and Nicodemus comes to him by night, and then Jesus gives these this beautiful, I mean, unbelievably tender invitation to a man that has risen the ranks of the religious structures. This beautifully tender invitation, come, come and, 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 and learn what salvation is. Right next to that, John 4, starting in verse 1. Oh my gosh. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had uh, made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and he departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? I want to pause here. This is really important, because this goes into the context of what we've been talking about. So Jesus is in Jerusalem and he needs to go all the way to the north to Galilee. But he decides rather than taking the direct route, he's going to go through Samaria, which was the half-breeds. It was they were despised within the Jewish context, right? Um, they only had the first five books of the Bible. They didn't acknowledge the prophets. There's just a lot of dis- dissension with them. So he goes through Samaria. I just find this fascinating. And the customs in Samaria, when the woman walks to the well and sees the Jewish man, it's not lost on her who he is. 
So she's carrying her. And can you imagine? She sees this Jewish man sitting by the well. He's got nothing with him. She's carrying stuff for water. She walks up to this and she's prepping herself for the potential answer or a question that he's going to ask. And we see within her answer that this is deeply rooted in customs of the day. Deeply rooted. That she is carrying not a paradigm that says, this is the Messiah coming to ask me. We can become overly familiar with the passage. This is a woman caught in this feud that's taking place. And so for this woman, this is not, this is a man asking a woman for water. This is a Jew asking a Samaritan. Do you see the identifier? This is a Jew asking a Samaritan. This is a man asking a woman. There's all of these things that are breeding distance. But in her mind, they are the main issues of the day. We okay with this so far? How is it that you being a Jew asked a Jew, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, yeah. For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And I love this point. So she immediately says, hey, you, how dare, no, you don't, you don't get to ask me that. You are come, You are from a lineage that has persecuted my people. You are from a lineage. How can you, and you're going to demand that I give you, you see it? How dare you demand that? And Jesus, who she's coming at him, and she's not just coming at him with this moment. She's coming at him with all of her history and her family history. She's coming and she's interpreting through this lens. And what does Jesus do? He refuses to see her from the vantage point that is her highest realm. We okay so far? Her highest realm is that she's a Samaritan and she's a woman. So Jesus says in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Can you see this psalm playing out? He is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the days of, the, of trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me, right? So Jesus stands there, hears the pain in this woman's accusation, refuses to, refuses to live within the realm that she's wanting to engage with him and says, if you only knew the heart of my father, and who is standing before you, you would actually be asking me for the water that comes from this realm. We okay so far? Now, this is above, can we, can we acknowledge, not only is this above her paradigm, it's equally above our paradigms. Because often we want to engage with Jesus, we want to engage with the Lord according to our culture and our value systems, and da 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 da, -da. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. That's a huge identifier for us. The problem becomes is when Jesus begins to speak from a place that is not bound by our value systems and our culture and is actually inviting us into a higher realm. We okay so far? So he has this place. The woman said to him, Sir, if you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep, why, uh, where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? You see how she's taking it back political? Are you great? So you're saying you're greater than our father, Jacob, who, who gave us the well and he drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock. And Jesus answers and says to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up for everlasting life. Can you see what she's saying here? Hey, I honor. I honor the place that you're asking these questions from. I I honor the value of them for you. I honor that they've been identifiers for you. But if you continue to stay in that place, you will perpetually be thirsty. Because the structures of religion, the structures of the political system, they will always keep you famished. If that is the way that you choose to engage, you will have momentary reprieves because I will speak to you in them because I love you that much. But if you're willing to let those structures fall and let me be me and meet me on my terms, I will give you a water that not only will satisfy your thirst in the moment, it will become an artesian well, a spring of living water that will never run dry. Because the realm that I want to invite you to is beyond the realm you're used to dealing in the natural world. Mm -hmm. We okay? Mm -hmm. So most of us have been discipled in a paradigm that takes heavily the natural realm. And what happens is, is we then want to engage and we want to influence. We have beautiful, tender hearts. We want to influence in the natural realm. And there is a high, high value of the kingdom for that. But what Jesus recognizes is that if there is not an artesian well, you will be used and abused by the systems put in place, and you will think that that's just part of what it means to be a believer and a Christian. You will actually then begin to attach the heart of God to you being depleted and and warfare all the time and and oppressed, and that's just what God has for me because I'm a believer. Can you feel it? Can you feel the demonic on it? And the whole time Jesus says, child, I refuse to, I do not want to speak to you from that realm because what I say to you will actually reinforce what you're interpreting and it will not set you free to live from a higher place. And so this thing that we've been talking about all morning is actually like, what does it mean that he is the God? He is the Lord, for the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. What does that mean but that he is sitting on the throne? He is the God of all gods. Saying, you can choose to engage with me with your idol that looks like politics, your idol that looks like this. You can choose to engage with me in that way. And I, because I love you so much, I will actually show up and talk to you. But you will not live from a place of living water. You will live from a place of being famished. Looking for your next encounter to fill you up. Not recognizing that I've called you to be living water. Not to just find the water. You track with me? It's not about finding the well. It is about living in a realm and in a place that the well then becomes you and it flows through you and out of you where you become the sheep of his hand, carrying all power, dominion, and authority. Not because you've got the rightest theology, but because you've become the most dependent on the artesian well meant to live within you. And so the paradigm I want to speak this morning is exactly this. 
that the Father oftentimes, and I will confess, maybe this is a confession more than a proclamation, so forgive me, but many times we can use the language God is silent, and he's not silent, he's just speaking from a realm that's setting us free. Because we see over and over and over again what she keeps coming back to. Well, what about this? Answer me this. What about this? There's this, uh, I think it's a Japanese custom where a, 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 a Japanese master, a Japanese teacher has a student and the student, and they really encourage questions. Uh, and as, <clears throat> as the master will begin to teach the student, uh, he teaches the student, and the, and the student's encouraged to ask questions, but the questions are really important. And when, a quest, when, the, when the student asks a question and the master says, that's a good question, but it's not the question, he'll use a phrase called mu, M-U. He'll just say mu. Basically, it means wrong question, wrong question, ask a different one. And I was thinking about that, and I was sitting with the Lord, and the Lord says, Matt, you have a lot of mu questions. <laughs> And I said, Jesus, you must have the wrong line. That is not me. <laughs> but the Lord, it's this paradigm. You're asking questions. You're asking questions from a place. My heart, I hear his heart. It's not saying that's an invalid place. It's really important we catch that. Because that's a paradigm we can put on Jesus that's not truth. So he's not saying it's an invalid question. He's saying it's not actually the question that's going to get to the heart. Of, of the root system of your, of your problem or your issue or the place in your heart that you're navigating. It's a moo question. Ask a different one. Because he has a conversation he wants to have that probably will go beyond your capacity to articulate because he loves to speak to you. He loves to be tender with your heart. But oftentimes we get caught in the natural structures saying, well, what about this and what about this and what about this? And the Jesus says, I love you too much to actually engage fully in that question. It's a moo question. <clears throat> Ask a different one. And so I want you I want you to see this that as these as these foundations are shifting and as they're broadening all of these the, we're in the season. This is the prophetic thing that's happening. And I need you to hear me being a prophetic people. Yes, one of the fruits of being a prophetic people is I can pray for you and I can hear what Jesus is whispering about this person. But the deeper root system of that is a prophetic people where their lives are the prophetic picture. Where they're literally living in the times and the seasons. Where they are so in, in, in woven together in what the Spirit of God is doing that their entire lives become an incarnational picture of what God is doing. And now I don't need to find language for what Jesus is saying. My life is incarnating what Jesus is saying. Does this make sense? And that what happens is, is as we're doing the, doing the journey and we're doing the good journey of our heart being alive in this season, because his heart's alive in this season, right? That what he's doing is he is fleshing out and he is he's actually whispering things that begin the process of moving the grave from a place of death to a place of transformation. Where he says, I'm not going to engage with you on this level and you can get frustrated and offended with me. And I will love you in it. But you will not taste the resurrection I have for you. Do you get what I'm saying? And so there's this invitation in this season. There's this deep invitation in this season where the Lord is saying, will you come and enter the rest that I have for you? 
Will you enter the rest that I have for you? And so I say that to say, I want to pause for a second because I don't know exactly what Jesus is whispering. I would like to take communion on this. I feel like there needs to be a prophetic act on this. I just, I, I hear this, I hear this paradigm and I, I'm just going to share it. Uh, I feel like he's saying, my beloved, I know these questions are important to you. But if you'll trust me, they're moo questions. I feel like he's saying on the other side of this is resurrection life where our hearts are knitted together. On the other side of this, no longer are you looking from a place, looking into the natural realm, trying to find the heart of the Father. You will recognize that you are tucked in, not as a concept in your incarnational reality, that you were tucked into the heart of the Father. That there's been no separation from you and Him. That separation itself is the illusion that you will find that you are so embedded in, in His heart that to hear him whisper is actually the lens through which you view all things. I actually believe that Jesus is modeling. He's giving an example of how to live from a place of intimacy with the Father. And now I refuse, as Paul put language to, to see anybody according to their political ideation, according to their religious structure, according to how they proclaimed or professed or even behaved. There's a place where you begin to hear the heartbeat of the Father for the person sitting in front of you. And now you're so in oneness with this place. I go, Holy Spirit, how are you loving this person in this moment? And it's not from a place of I need to fix this or I need to change this. It's actually from a place of have them come higher with you in this moment. And it may not even be in words. It may be you just holding space for them, invites them to get it all out and then come up higher to what he is doing. That there's a whole realm here of ministry that is effortless and easy because the Spirit of God is doing the work. And it's not up to my talents or my identity or my anointing or, or trying to drum something up emotively. It is literally from a place of hiddenness in the heart of the Father that He says, I have so transformed those internal places. You, are so, you have so been transformed by my love that the structures have fallen down and now this artesian well is free to spring up at any given moment. That I will take you into the places of deepest darkness, not so that you can give an answer. I will take you into the places of deepest darkness so that the river of living water flowing out of you will come and bring light to those who are caught in darkness. And this is not a you issue anymore. It's a, it's a him issue that my heart is just surrendered. And because I have said in my quiet times, I've said in my places of deepest intimacy, Jesus, I want you to be free to be you. Now, all of a sudden, he can be him in any given moment. And my job is to keep the cup clean. To keep the cup clean of, of a lot of good theology that becomes strongholds very quickly. Mm -hmm. 
And so we stand in this place of Lent. We stand in this place of Lent with our eyes focused on the Easter morning of resurrection saying, Jesus, I don't want to participate in the resurrection if my cup's not clean. For I will miss the secret whispers of your heart. And if I'm being honest, those are the, actually the highest places for my heart. That you have secret whispers that only you and I know about. So if you would, Jesus, you knew that we needed prophetic acts. You knew that we needed prophetic symbols. You knew that we needed places so that we could enter your rest. And so we stand in that place right now and say, Jesus, you lifted the bread and you said, this is my body broken for you, broken for you. That in your brokenness, it would not be despair and hopelessness, but in your brokenness, you would find life. Do this in remembrance of me. And I confess, Jesus, I'm so grateful that you won't answer me on the questions that I come to with. I come to you with. I'm so grateful that you say that it's a moo question, my son. Will you ask another one? I'm so grateful, Lord, that you won't let me settle for a paradigm of you that looks a lot like me. But you are inviting me into a paradigm of me that looks a lot like you. And I think you had that in mind, Jesus, when you took the cup. I can just see this mischievous smile in your eye. And you said, this is my, I mean, come on. You're telling it to a people looking. These men were wanting the kingdom to come in Israel. And you said, this is my blood shed for you. This is the depth of my blood. And it was not lost on them that Cain and Abel talked about blood as well. And that blood cries out and blood has a voice and blood has a message and blood has a word. And he says, and this is my blood shed for you. For the remission of sins that you are not bound by who you were. You are not bound by your separateness. Your separateness is an illusion to me that I am your beloved and you are mine. You take this and you take to heart that I have redeemed all things. That you are the sheep of my hand and that I have gone into the depths of torment that you would find life where the enemy has darkness. Do this in remembrance of me. I want to declare, Hebrews says, really the whole book of Hebrews, if you, if you, if you sum it up, it's about the, the, the high priesthood of Jesus purchasing rest, the Sabbath rest for you. But the whole thing is, his, his word is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. Why? That's the whole context of that. This thing cuts you open. The person of Jesus cuts you open, not to cut you open. He cuts you open that you might find the rest that comes in him. The whole purpose of dividing soul and spirit, bone and is so that you would find rest for your souls and live from a place of Sabbath rest. That that Sabbath rest carries the highest realm of anointing where at times you feel like you are doing the least. Because what's flowing out of you is the work and the power of the kingdom rather than my effort and desires to make an angry God pleased with me. And so I just want to proclaim that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And the joy set before him is that he would have an equally yoked bride 
who knew how to live from a place and a heart posture of rest that all of the world would begin to see. The heights and the depths and the widths and the lengths of the love of God. That the love of God would actually expose all places of inferior attachments. That the love of God would come and would wash over you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That you would find rest for your souls and from that place of rest would be free to be you. That's the better word of the blood speaking. That you would hear him say, I know where you lost you. Can I help you find you? That's what my blood has come to do, to help you find you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verily, truly, may it be so.